That's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, page For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Thank you very much, John. It's good to have you with us here. Uh, Do keep open that passage in front of you, and as uh, you do, let's pray together. Our Father, as your children, our eyes are upon you this morning as every morning, asking that you would feed us, asking that you would show us about your redeeming love and your Son. And we ask this in his name. Amen. What our Lord Jesus Christ secured for us at the cross was so wonderful that the Bible needs, in order to explain it to us, multiple images. Two weeks ago, we saw uh, how, how the language of the temple is used to explain that Christ's sacrifice propitiated God. That is, that it turned aside God's wrath from us. And then last week, we saw how the language of the law court is used to explain that God justified us. That is, he declared us right with himself by faith. Well, this morning, we come to a third word picture. And this one uses the language of the marketplace. And this language is used to explain how Christ redeemed us. That is, how he bought us from slavery for himself. We're considering this morning the cross as redemption. Now, the language of redemption is enormously practical. If you've ever seen the need, uh, as you looked at your life, if you've ever seen the need for real change, deep change, change at the level of our desires even, then redemption is the key that unlocks that prison we find ourselves in. And our text from Titus and verse 14 especially shows us that deliverance 
even from dark desires, can be unlocked by a profound encounter with God's grace. God's grace as seen in Christ's redeeming work on the cross. So first this morning, we need to see from what we need to be redeemed. Secondly, how we're redeemed. And then thirdly and finally, why we are redeemed. So first, what have we been redeemed from? And so our first point is our slavery. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness. That means every form of wickedness, everything in us that is anti-God, right down to our rotten core. It includes what Paul has just referred to in verse 12 as ungodliness and worldly passions. All those passions and desires that make us slaves to sin. If you just look down the page to verse 3 of chapter 3, look how Paul describes us. He says, at one time, we, we Christians, you and I, we too, were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. The Enlightenment philosopher Rousseau famously claimed that man is born free but everywhere is in chains. And for Rousseau, the the problem, the big problem is the oppressive culture out there which tells us to deny our natural desires. That's what we need to fight against. We need to We were born free, but the culture, and particularly Christian culture, has enslaved us by telling us not to follow our natural desires. And of course, this has um, been picked up by the pride movement, uh, which says that we should follow our natural desires for the same sex if we want, or to identify with the opposite gender. But Jesus Christ says, no, 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 Rousseau, you haven't gone deep enough. Our problem is much deeper than that. It's much worse. Our problem isn't primarily out there. Our problem is primarily in here. Our problem is our natural desires themselves, which are corrupted. We are children of Adam. And those natural desires render us liable to judgment from a holy God. But they also enslave us. Whoever sins, said Jesus, is a slave to sin. John 8, 34. We've just seen it here, haven't we? In Titus 3, verse 3. Our passions and pleasures, they enslave us. I was reading this week about... Um, a building contractor, he he built a prison in New York and decided to call it Tombs Prison, which is a bit ominous if you ask me. But shortly after the prison was built, he was convicted for forgery and sentenced to spend time in his own prison. As he walked into the cell, he said, I never dreamed when I built this place 
that I would one day be an inmate. The point is that we enslave ourselves, our sinful desires enslave ourselves when we give up to them. Rousseau is right when he says that we are all enslaved. But his reason for why we're enslaved is superficial. The problem is that we are children of Adam. The problem is that not only do we sin, we love to sin. That's our problem. Not only do we do wrong, but we want to do wrong. That's our problem. We often confess sins of omission and commission. Stuff um, which we omit to do, that we should do. Stuff that we do commit, that we shouldn't do. That's fine, but we need to go further. We need to go deeper. Because it is at the level of our desires, out of the heart comes our evil actions from our sinful desires. And as I say, they, they render us liable to punishment. Sin's penalty hangs over us. But not only so, they enslave us so that sin's power rules in us. And this is what we need redemption from. The question is, how? How can we be redeemed from such dreadful position that we find ourselves in? Well, we saw the answer in the song that we sung just before I stood up. There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son. And it should astonish us that there is a Redeemer at all and astonish us even more that that Redeemer is Jesus, the Son of God. Let's move on to think then about that redemption, how we redeemed our redemption. Now, bearing in mind what we have just said, the prospect of appearing before God at the end of history, which we all will, should fill every one of us with dread. But for the Christian wonderfully, that prospect is a blessed one, that we wait for Christ not as our judge, but as the passage says, as our saviour. Why? Well, because the grace of God has appeared. When Christ first came, when the grace of God in Jesus Christ first appeared, well, that means that we can have confidence that when he comes again, we will meet him as saviour and not as judge. What form did that appearing of grace take? It's there in verse 13. It is redeeming grace. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for us to redeem us. Paul's language here echoes what Jesus himself said about his own ministry. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Christ understood that his ministry was to ransom or to redeem sinners. The idea is traced right back to the time of the Exodus where God um, redeemed his people from Egyptian slavery through the blood of the Passover lamb. It probably also has echoes of the contemporary culture where it was pretty usual for a slave's freedom to be bought in the marketplace. The basic idea is that a ransom is paid to buy a person out of their slavery. When Christ says that he gave himself, it is, of course, a a reference, as we know, to his death on the cross. And he did so, we're told, for us, which is a phrase which indicates substitution. He gave himself as a substitute for us, in place of us, on our behalf, instead of us. We deserve death. But the cross was the ransom payment, our ransom payment, so that we are those who receive redeeming kindness and grace and not judgment. The Savior offered his precious lifeblood to ransom anyone here who has received him. This is how Peter puts it in his letter, his first letter. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of, your, of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Christ redeems sinners out of slavery by paying the ransom price with his blood. Now, if we were to ask, to whom did Christ make um, payment? Well, in the past, people have sort of got themselves in, in all kinds of knots on this issue. They've assumed that the answer must be Satan. But, of course, Satan is in no position to make any demands upon God, No, the ransom payment was paid to God himself. Who, whose righteousness rightly insists upon just payment for sin. And what a payment it was, the precious blood of Christ. How can we begin to measure the worth of that payment? Well, we might start by measuring the worth of those redeemed. Before then, 
measuring the worth of the ransom payment itself. As for the worth of those redeemed, who are those redeemed? Well, he gave himself for us. Our problem often is that we tend to overvalue ourselves. That we tend to think that we're like that undiscovered masterpiece at the auction house. Yes, a bit battered, not in perfect condition. In need of a bit of TLC, to be sure. But any canny bidder coming in would surely recognize our worth. And it is true, we are made in God's image. But that image has been twisted and soiled and damaged beyond all recognition. We are no Van Gogh needing just a bit of tomato soup wiped off of us. We are those who have done violence against the Son of God. We are a race who have murdered our Maker. What is the cross on the back of Christ? My sin. What is the crown of thorns on the head of Christ? My sin. What are the, the nails in his hands and feet and the, and the spear in his side? My sin. Your sin. Our sin. Let's first learn to sort of measure the worth of the ransom by the worth of those who have been redeemed. And then measure by the value of the ransom itself. As for the worth of the ransom, we're told he gave himself for us. Think for a moment. Our ransom was the blood of so great a person as the Son of God, no one less. And that means that even for the greatest sinner, there is hope. Had it been the blood of a sinful creature, well, then they too would need ransoming. Had it been the blood of an angel, assuming that they have blood to shed, it would have been the blood of a creature which has limited value. But since it was the blood of the Son of God, holy, eternal, and spotless, it was blood of infinite value. We are ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So may God's Spirit help us not to overvalue our own worth, nor to undervalue the precious blood of Christ. Then we will learn how to measure our redemption with accuracy. Okay, how, how then are we redeemed? By the precious blood of Christ, who gave himself for us, paying the penalty of our sin. And at the same time as we're about to see, he broke the power of our sin. That is the answer to our final question, why are we redeemed? Our freedom. 
Now, as soon as we hear about God's grace in our Redeemer, it should really stir us up to live a godly life because that is the purpose of our redemption, is it not? Isn't, isn't that what verse 14 says of Titus chapter 2? Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So right now, as we live in this, this life, what, what Paul describes as this present age, as we await the Savior's return, God's grace is our mentor. God's grace teaches us. It should in, instruct us to do two things, to say no and to say yes. To say no to an ungodly lifestyle and yes to living self-controlled, upright and godly lives. Now, it should be... Um, it is, sorry, it is easy to skate by what's being implied here. Because what's being implied is that once a person is redeemed, that godliness and godly desires are now a possibility. Because Christ's blood has broken sin's power. You see, at one time we were slaves to our desires, but now the prison door has been flung open. We have freedom. At one time we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, but now redeemed, now God's people, we are eager to do what is good. And notice that word eager is a heart word, isn't it? it? It includes not only doing good, but fundamentally wanting to do good. Now, I know we don't always want to do good. Okay, I get that. The point, though, is that it is now a possibility for us when before it wasn't a possibility for us. At one time, it wasn't a possibility. At one time, we were enslaved by selfish desires. We weren't bothered about doing good. That is not what we wanted. We loved sin. But now, the redeemed are free to serve God from the heart. Not only doing our duty, but joyfully doing our duty. Eager to do what is good. Do you see how this is the exact opposite of the pride movement? Pride says that we must be free from God to follow our desires. But the gospel frees us from our sinful desires to follow God. Do you see they're opposite? Redeeming grace, in other words gives us wings to be godly. How does that work? Well, let me paraphrase a semi-famous Puritan called Stephen Charnock. He's famous for writing um, a rather large book on the attributes of God. This is what he says. 
my paraphrase. He says, every charm in sin should be overcome by the ravishing love which bubbles up from us in every drop of the Redeemer's love, blood. If we think about that, can we sin against such tenderness, compassion, and grace which sounds so loudly in our ears from the cross of Jesus? When we consider him hanging there to deliver us from hell, can we walk in the way that leads to hell? Can we see him suffering in our place and dare to say to him, you shouldn't have bothered? Can we take any pleasure in the sin which costs so much pain to our best friend? cross gives wings to godliness. Let me sum up this teaching about redemption. We have been redeemed from slavery to our sinful desires by the precious blood of Christ for the freedom of living to and for God. Sin's penalty has been paid. Sin's power has been broken. And one day when we see our Redeemer, sin's sin's very presence will be removed from us. Redemption means nothing less than that. Let me speak a few words to those of you who are trusting in Christ and who know you are redeemed. One, your Redeemer will never condemn you, no matter how worthless you feel. However weighty you consider your sin is, it is no match for the infinite worth of his blood. Two, your Redeemer will never abandon you. A mother would sooner forget her baby then Christ forget you. He has ransomed you with his precious blood. And three, as a consequence of the first two, your Redeemer will never let you wallow in filth like a pig or be like a dog that returns to its own vomit. You have been bought at a price. You belong to him. Therefore, let us... Honour God with our bodies. He gave himself for us to redeem us, a people for his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, for those here without faith, I need to tell you the truth that the redeeming blood of Christ will do you no good whatsoever. The text tells us here, Nonetheless, that the grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people. And that includes all you here this morning. But you have to respond to his offer. And what is it that he offers? He offers you himself. 
the eyes and the hands of your soul must look to Christ and receive Christ as Redeemer. There will be some listening to this who will be thinking, yeah, but you don't know how great a sinner I've been. You don't know that I've done such and such. And you certainly don't know that I've thought such and such. And if I hadn't, well, maybe you're right. Maybe there would be hope. Maybe then grace would be offered to me. Well, let me say to you, you have undervalued the worth of Christ's blood. You have thought that there is more in your sin to damn you than there is in Christ's blood to save you. But the precious blood of Christ is of greater worth than a world's sins. I don't say this to encourage anybody here who thinks, well, I can just go and do what I want then. Because people who say that are still enslaved and they stand condemned. But I do want to give hope to those who feel this morning that there is no hope for them. Because there is this morning a Redeemer offering to ransom the greatest sinner here or anywhere. Imagine for a moment that there was an auction for your soul, your eternal soul, your soul that you have defiled with countless sins over many years, your godless soul which you have sold and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Who would bid for your soul? What would they bid for you? What are you worth? Jesus Christ says, I will bid. The world says, not a chance. You're worthless to me. I bid nothing. But Jesus Christ steps forward and says, I bid. I offer. I will redeem with my own blood. There is no greater price, no greater love than his. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a redeemer and that you have stopped at nothing to secure our redemption. We pray that we would trust in that redeeming blood so precious and consider ourselves as those who belong to you, not only by our creation, but by our redemption, that we would live for you. Some words from Revelation 1 verse 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Invite the musicians up. Thank you to, to them. We're going to respond to what we've heard this morning by reflecting upon the astonishing fact of redeeming love. And can it be that I should gain? Let's stand as the music starts. <laughs>